Hello, I'm Philip Gomes, and welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast. Today, among other topics, we're going to talk about the joy and suffering of riding a bike. We saw some amazing racing and suffering in the first two stages of Paris-Nice, with Richie Port a casualty in the wind, rain, and gutter riding. The little guy suffered after a heady January in Australia, but he'll be back. Soon to suffer will be noted cycling journal Rupert Guinness, who's engaging in what we like to call participatory journalism, to ride across Australia in the inaugural Indian Pacific wheel race. He's going to challenge himself and will no doubt experience his version of Port's good and bad days along the way. But the beauty of cycling is that the bad days and good days are often one and the same. We tend to brag about both in the same way. I had a good day. I was really shit on the bike. It's a sport where suffering is elevated to the same status as winning. Cycling's beauty comes more in those personal moments of overcoming. You suffer, but also experience the joy in the doing. I'll leave you with this from Alberto Contador from an interview he gave to Cycling News recently, speaking about his past exploits at the Tour de France and Vuelta Espana, where he both won and lost at different moments. Contador stressed the importance of not just racing to win, but also losing with panache and the possibility that the former would be more fondly remembered than the latter. So he said, but it's true of those three days, only one of them had a reward in the form of victory, but the other two, although there was no victory, there was certainly a reward in terms of recognition, a reward that genuinely I prefer and that people remember better and value more, more than having a trophy in the cabinet. Obviously it's a professional sport and results matter, but this type of thing genuinely is more important even than winning. Amen, Alberto. With me for today's podcast are the traditional duo, I guess, uh, Anthony Tan and Rob Arnold. Um, gentlemen. Good to be part of a tradition. Yeah. let's. We're, we're kind of inspired by Rupert, I guess, in a way, aren't we? Today, I am. Uh, yeah, well, I, I rode from my home to the SBS cycling podcast studio. It was all of about 5K, so, so. I'm, I'm harnessing Rupert. I think he's, <laughs> he's been starting at 3 a.m. I, I started about 11. But it's, 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 it's interesting, this, this whole idea of challenging yourself on a bike. And I think that's, that's partly what someone like Contador looks at. He looked, mm. He's the kind of guy that looks at these stages and he goes, well, this is, this is something I want to excel in. And it's, yeah, he wants to win, but mm. he also wants to do something. It's now a turning point in cycling where um, interest begins to wane from professional cycling and, and just into what you're calling participatory journalism. I mean, are people more interested in the story rather than the race? I th I, I'm starting to feel that, you know, if anyone who's heard me speak on this podcast or read my magazine for 20 years, they know that I love racing, I love the, the pro scene and I like a lot of things about cycling. But uh, I think that what we're seeing at the moment is this sort of groundswell of participation, overviewing. I don't know if it's just me. I haven't turned on the television a lot, but I've ridden my bike a bit. And spare time sort of conjures the urge to ride more than to watch. Is it no, some viewers? Or, no, what, they're not viewers. Listeners, tell us what you think. I'm interested in your feedback. Yeah. Because it does, for me as a publisher of a cycling magazine that's long had a focus on racing, I'm finding it really... I'd, I'd, I'd rather not go down that route anymore. Not, not that I want to stop talking about racing, but I don't want to necessarily do coverage at all. 
I'm perhaps not so much surprised about that groundswell and participation, but Rob's comments, because having known Rob for quite some time, you know, for him to say, I haven't been watching Parry Nice, I actually said it to you after I said, did you hear what Rob said? You know, he's not been watching. And I think I also, I think I've been watching a delayed broadcast, whereas I used to stay up till 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. I, mm. I don't do that anymore. I mean, that's what kind of inspired me to go and spend uh, five or six years covering the races in Europe pretty much because I kept <laughs> losing too much sleep. But uh, also I, I was that into the racing side of the sport and uh, perhaps, yeah, that's waned a little bit. I'm still interested in cycling, but perhaps uh, only for those big events. Or, or, although, yeah, even Strade Bianca, you know, I didn't stay up to watch that. I, I uh, recorded and watched it the next day. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm giving up on it. That's not the, the case. But I'm just curious if there's, you know, th- th- everything evolves, you know, and has there been, and it wasn't that when I started the magazine, there was no Twitter, there was no live coverage of the Tour de France, there was no commentary really on the sport. You know, this was 98 I'm talking about. It, it was only a sort of a, a little a little click. But now it's, it's common and everyone can offer their comments in, in social media and, share footage on Facebook and, and be engaged. Uh, but for me now, on the day of the race, the race is old, whereas before it sort of used to be like a, an archived event. and some, You know, I, I started watching cycling. I've harped on about it. But my, my coming to professional cycling was via VHS, literally delivered months after the fact, and I still found real engagement in that. And now that there's some, there's almost saturation coverage, even though you've lost your Italian races to be broadcast on SBS, there's more racing than we've ever had in, on television in Australia or more access to it even if you extend beyond SBS's coverage. And I'm not as compelled to watch it. That's did, just me. Did, you know, that's just me. Yeah, but, no, 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 anyway. because I want to take you back. You mentioned, you mentioned the 90s when you started, and I want to I take us back maybe a little bit, a little bit further uh, back from that. Mm. When, say like 1980s, for example, when I, when I really started to get into, get into cycling, one of the things I, I looked forward to was magazines, mm. Velo News, etc. Sure. And the writing then, obviously, because it was long form, a format to which you still adhere. We adhere, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that writing also uh, engaged in a way with the stories of the race. Yes less than the results of the race yeah. in many ways. And that's what drew me to cycling in the first place, was that you'd read about the dramas in these races, the, these epic, epic moments. And, and it gave, these stories gave space for your imagination to fill in the blanks mm. in many ways. Mm. So they became like these epic things, I really want to do this. Now everything is so accessible, a lot of that mystery is gone. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing underground about this sport anyway there's there's no fight club aspect about cycling you know uh, you looked at velo news so did i also cycle sport i mean perhaps when i became enthralled with cycling it was not such a good time it was early 90s so but i was more interested yeah and just you know i used to pay extra to get those air freighted copies uh, of a magazine like cycle sport and now it's just it's proliferated to the extent where, as Rob said, there's there's almost too much stuff. And so I quite like 
Um, I have no interest in being a field reporter anymore. I quite like getting all that information afterwards and making some sense of it. So I, do I'm, we... I'm the opposite. I'm, I would much prefer. I, I, I'm had a gut full of looking at my computer screen. I want to get out there and I want to and, and experience it because as soon as I'm on the bike, I can I see a thousand stories. I I, I don't. I'm never going to get sick of talking about cycling. That's let's be clear. But I, my my interest in the pro sport is is beginning to wane, and Sky is a case in point. I, I just. I know I should sort of care, but I, I really, I've got to the point where I'm finishing the magazine in the next couple of days and I don't really want to put any of the Brailsford saga in because it's just never ending yeah. and it's just filled with bullshit. just rubbish, Shit. just yeah. total rubbish. Like, as in, it's just demoralising. So looking at, looking at, there's a, there's an interesting side to this, I think. And so you, you say we, we go back to the experiential mm. where we start to take, to, to counterbalance that, we to start taking personal joy in the doing. So we we personally go and, and ride our bike yes. and experience it that way. Would you say that the proliferation of Grand Fondos, for example, which is mm. the, very much the experiential, mm. uh, is a consequence of that, or just a, an out an out an outcome of saturation coverage? I got many theories on the on the growth of cycling. I did a, an interview with a, a mainstream radio. To UE, actually, which was surprising. They wanted to know about cycling after the top. And they, they were sort of asking me, what, what is it that's bringing people to this new golf? You know, they, they're cording on to that one. And to be honest, there's, there's a lot of things. Number one is equipment is more accessible than it has ever been. You can get a really nice bike. We, I think most people who listen to this understand that the, the bikes of today are, are far better than they were 10 years ago. Another thing that's contributed is smoking laws. Insofar that golf used to be popular, people could go to the pub uh, afterwards, have a cigarette, and that was their sporting social. But that's the the smoking laws of, of, of and thankfully people are having a general awakening of the the the. the the evils of smoking and so they're stopping doing that and if you've been in that world and you want to, and you stop then you want to find a real outlet and cycling fills that void to an extent i mean there's just a general awakening in society and hopefully people are stuck in traffic long enough to realize hang on a sec that, that guy who's going past me on the bike that makes sense and hopefully this spiritual change that I've long been talking about is coming because basically it's reached saturation point and, and, and the stupidity of pursuing the other uh, things that we used to do, I need to be in my car, I have to go to that meeting, uh, is going to fade. I don't know. Is it just me? Mm, no, no, no. I think we all, we all feel that. Yeah. Um, but, but it's... it's sorry, yeah, Anthony, so, go ahead. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, mm. do you feel the same way about... Rob about Sky because I'm actually quite interested. I think uh, you, we can just say, oh, Daily Mail, it's tabloid <laughs> crap, but actually they have uncovered, you know, Nothing. a number of scoops. I would say that the other outlets which would, you know, I maybe cycling news would have loved to have got, although they got their own the other day by, you know, uh, clearly, you know, that there's certain writers who are, want Brailsford out uh, and then you've got I mean there's just a lot of unanswered questions I'm not saying that the males got the answers but they they have found you know these uh, mistaken order of testosterone patches the triumph I mean 60 ampules and then 
Brailsford was administered one of those. I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy, and it could precipitate the downfall of a, an entire team. That's why it's relevant. But, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it, th- I'll put it this way. Team. I'll put it this way, okay? Mm. One of the things of cycling in the past, we we were, were treated to a different idea of cycling. It was, it was one of myth and, uh, and heroics and exploits and, and that sort of thing. Um, now with saturation, a lot of that has been a lot of that onion, in effect, has been peeled back mm. to, to 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 expose a raw kind of version of the sport. Um, but that's no different in the way that any other sporting code is covered these days. And in fact, it's no different than the way other sporting codes have been covered in the past. Mm. It's just because cycling was a niche, and as you say, it was underground fight mm. club, right? If you shaved your legs, you knew, right? That guy's like me, and that. We're now getting that kind of coverage. So when you look at, say, uh, football coverage, for example, which we do here at SBS, yeah. it's like every nuance of the sport is pulled apart, and it's done passionately. There's anger. There's just just everything's happening. And that's expressed, you know, obviously on social media now, and, and, and we're seeing the same with cycling. And these are part of the dramas that go into sports. So you look at, say, what's happening with, uh, with Arsenal and Arsene Menger and the calamity that's happening there, and it's sort of like, and you see the passion of the fans, and we're seeing that same outcome in cycling. Mm. So now cycling is mature to a point where it's getting that kind of coverage. And maybe those of us who like to see more romance in the sport that we grew up with are not enjoying that so I much. I don't have a problem with the scandal of Sky. I just think that, it's, first of all, it's been served well by Armstrong and served poorly by Armstrong. And by, I was thinking about this walking to work the other day, thinking, would the reaction have been so violent? No, would the reaction be like it is? Uh, um, had Armstrong not existed hmm. uh, and, th- and that whole scandal. But it felt to me like Armstrong served that c- the the point of being the absolute pariah that everyone needed to pick on and, and, and vilify and, and turn into the demon. And, and once that that was done, once the reason decision came, then it was sort of like the collective... Okay, now let's move on. And now when when Brailsford and, and Wiggins received their knighthood, I, th- I just remember sort of thinking, oh, don't do that to sports people. <laughs> Why? Because it's going to come back and bite them. You know, there's this there's this air of, uh, of royal, royalty and, and you, can't, you can't do that in sport because ultimately they're going to be going through what they're doing at the moment where they're, they're being seen as, where they're being vilified and where they're being... Um, picked apart. Yeah, picked apart. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, but, I don't, that, but my contribution then but, made but no we, sense. We want to get back to this whole idea, though, about this this you know romantic kind of coverage, and and maybe we just like I said, we just bring that back to a more personal experience of of riding the bike rather than mm. worrying so much about what uh, Team Sky is doing and what mm. what the Tifosi mm. out there are saying about Team Sky, because I find that to be. Uh, really quite defeating mm. um, it, it it does it does kill your desire to of your enjoyment yeah. of, of That's right. that part of the sport. A few years ago in t- at the end of 2012 we published a magazine which had Mariana Voss on the cover it was fantastic you know very inspirational shot she won the worlds it was really again and uh, I, I love that cover but the magazine is was a turning point for me because it had a big asterisk in the corner and it talked about the reason decision and I realized that the vast majority of the co- editorial content related to doping hmm. and I thought okay I feel 
rewarded by having covered it off and and talked about something that's been omnipresent in the magazine and I'm not going to shy away from it. And then I thought, but I want people to like cycling and I'm basically making a magazine to turn them off the sport mm. and by being as honest as we can be about the sport. So I was in, I was in a conundrum. I haven't changed. I mean, I continue to do what I can with the magazine. Just I want people to ride their bikes. So the, the, the premise of my content is to inspire people to ride their bikes. That's what I would like. And if that comes from talking about people riding from Perth to Sydney, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. If it comes from talking about the joy I get with riding with my kids, then I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. If, but I'm not going to be beholden to following the calendar like I had. And, yeah. and, and, and this is obviously I'm going through this this change of mindset. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about no, it, no, no, especially no. on a podcast. It's, these are things that a publisher needs to consider. Well, and Rob's mandate for covering his magazine is quite different from, say, uh, SBSs to mm-hmm. the Daily Mails to the Telegraphs to cycling users, you know, and probably cycling news feels that their mandate is to inform and provide that that news coverage and then probably SBS is, is to both inform and entertain. I don't know that those kind of are intertwined there or in terms of the priorities. Um, I remember, I, you know, some, I won't say who, but someone scolded me when I was doing Cycling Central television and they said, don't, don't forget, you know, our, the priority is to entertain, don't, don't keep going so hard on people. Uh, but you know, I felt as a journalist that no, no, it's first. First of all, you need to provide accurate information, and then secondly, if people come, ac- I come across as mildly <laughs> entertaining, and then that's a bonus, you know. Um, but it's yeah, it's for me. I, I'm still, I, I'm still quite interested across the, those issues. I think Sky is a, is a big deal. Um, you, you know, it, it does. You know, it, clearly, if if the team ceases to exist at the end of this year, then uh, that has ramifications across the the cycling fraternity. Mm. The <laughs> Rupert, I want to get back to Rupert. <laughs> Let's okay, because I mean, this is such to me. It's it's a great story, and I mean, obviously, Rupert. Rupert has his own his own reasons for wanting to to do the ride, but obviously it's this this challenge, and and we're looking at someone who's in a similar position to us in many ways, in which he's not only covered the sport from year dot to now, uh, written several books, and you know he's he's pretty much done it all in terms of this particular field. Yeah, he's around our age, age if you like. Yeah, that's that's exactly the mental right. age. Yeah, mental age. Yeah, mm. and um, you know it's it's uh, it's it's an it's an interesting kind of soul searching test in a way. I mean, it's he's he's promised to publish daily on Facebook live mm. at the end of every at the end of every day's ride, and it's going to be interesting to see the evolution of what that looks like. Each the day. more haggard he becomes. The more know. haggard you become. <laughs> he already I, looks a bit I, stuffed, didn't he? You know, when Tomo did that piece with him for the news, I mean, he had been writing since three, but that's, yeah, I, I'm I'm really quite genuinely interested in this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a evolution of the way he's, he's also having, um, you know, the thoughts that we've expressed just, re, you know, just... A few minutes ago is is I think he's gone through that same process as well, and I think this is part of that process of um, 
working out what he wants to do and uh, what what he's actually interested in rather than just simply going from race to race and, you know, reporting as he's always done for the last 20, 30 years. Is this, is this more of a generational thing, do you think, Rob? I mean, those of us uh, who've been involved so deeply in the sport for so many years that we're just be really hitting a hitting a fatigue point? In, in I don't know. Stuff? I'm not sure. I, I've Just for the record, I've spent the Monday after the Tour de France with Rupert for probably the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm amazed that he can ride a bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a long lunch. It's a very, very, very long lunch that day. But uh, moving right along, uh, is it a generational thing? Yeah, I mean, I was at the track last night watching my six-year-old go round and round on the velodrome and I see um, all of the kids that he's engaged with and I can see that there's, you know, in, in the teenagers who are at Tempe on the concrete velodrome, I see a lot of me in my youth Um really gung-ho. They don't really care if they're going to win anything. They're just enjoying being in a pace line or doing starts or, you know, even putting a clock on themselves and timing how fast it is to do a couple of laps. And and and, and with that comes that evolution that you go through where you, okay, you learn a little bit about the art of riding then you want to see those who do it really well. So you tune in and you watch the pro racing. And my kids will, who are 11 and 6, they will watch racing and determine if someone's, if they think that someone's sitting too high on the saddle or should change gears or do different things. So observations comes in, come in different ways. But it's different for them because... Like you said earlier, we were waiting on VHS tapes or or magazines from far afield or or reports from from people who understood the sport, and um and they get to they can tune into uh, you know a cycling maven vlog and get to experience um, what someone's going through as he as Mark Ferguson who does cycling maven is preparing for the Indy Pack. And and uh, yes, I was just going to point that out because he's doing it and he's going to vlog it every day. So we're going to get a, a huge amount of interesting content yes from these guys yes over the course of that event yes yeah and and, and jesse what um who who's organizing it uh, uh mental blank sorry jesse but he's a bmxer by from from years ago he came to cycling through bmx he's done adventure racing he's done all of these extreme rides he's likely to be one of the first across the country um and his story is a fascinating one and then the the, the culmination of people coming together for this for this inaugural indie pack is going to be something that generates a lot of content and it's going to be interesting to see how that fares as it goes into the classics are people going to be more engaged by this completely novel new event or are they going to hark back to the history or is it going to be a, a groundswell of interest in cycling because of the coming together of all of these things. I don't know. I'm mm. not sure what to expect from 2017. Well, I, I just like when you go to that Indian Pacific website, it's it's just so – it's quite rudimentary and – Quaint. Yes. I mean, it's – you know, it, it just gives these anecdotes of what, you know, the first two women to cross the Nullarbor and – uh, it's quite simple. I, you know, I was just having a look, not that I was thinking of entering, but the entry conditions, it's just pay, I think it's $40 entry fee and that's it. And yep. then just rock up to the start and then you're on your own and they just provide you with the map of yeah. the route that you should follow and finish at the opera house the essence. whenever you finish, if you finish and, <laughs> and, and you, you can't really get too much more basic than that. It's, it's the essence of cycling Just in a to way. read your quote from Contador that started this. It's uh, <laughs> result, Results matter, but this type of thing genuinely is more important even than winning. Yes. Like, 
this is something that we could we have talked about about you know the influence of a victory on us um, and um, Michael Drapak's spoken about it quite a lot and he's someone who has come to the sport uh, through his children uh, he appreciates the, the art of pedaling he understands what the joy of bike riding can can deliver a person and and the health benefits but he's now investing in it so that that he gets a brand recognition in America and he wants so he's still involved in pro sport but he he's not necessarily even that interested in the victory yeah there's, there's a lot of it's so, not it's, well, it's that, that's 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 life. a good thing Rob because Canada or Drapak <laughs> don't win very much no yeah um I'm gonna we're gonna close off the close off this segment just with uh with this um Anthony your most memorable moment on the bike, for good or bad, that thing um, that transcends the actual riding itself, that made you see deep within your soul? Probably doing a Wiseman's Ferry Loop on my own when it was pissing down rain when I was really into racing and stuff like that. Although so many people say I've never raced a bike, but, yeah, funnily enough, I have. And that was something which I was, uh, you know... You know, they if you're talking about getting in that zone or the flow or whatever you want to call it, I felt it that that day. You know, and but then you know, sort of getting back to would I if I had children, would I encourage them to ride a bike? Yes, I would. But it wouldn't be the only thing because I think you know we've seen so many instances. If you do get so super serious, uh, what happens at the end of it all? And that's where Drapak has been good with nurturing those those riders beyond their careers um, but yeah I just think team sports are also beneficial Rob your most memorable I couldn't I, I can't classify which was the best ride but if just listening when I was thinking about it while Anthony was speaking I I think that there was a time when I was about 16 when I went out to the Sawtell and District BMX Club, uh, their track, and I nailed the doubles every single time. And when I landed, it was the, exactly where I, the line I wanted, the, the one that I'd dreamed of for years. And I'd raced that track way too many times. I'd ridden that track thousands of times. But this one day, I just went over the doubles, I sailed, I, I cleared them, I, I, it felt perfect. The landing was just spot on. And... BMX to me is something that will never escape. It, it's a, an integral part of who I am. And I haven't done it for years, but now I race a mountain or ride a mountain bike and I love it. But even when you land on a doubles with a mountain bike, you've got the giver, the suspension. But with the BMX, it's so rigid and it's so... Uh, and with the smaller wheel, it's so immediate that I find that, that that's a, a memory that I uh, hold dear. But I went for a ride in New Zealand around uh, Lake Taupo with my uh, with my eldest son in November, and we'd probably been on the mountain bikes for four or five or six hours, and we we finished with a lovely uh, boat ride back to town, and it was glorious. And I said to him, "Look, that's in my top three of all time favourite rides. It was." just glorious because it was raining we didn't get wet we had um tree covers we had views we had good company we had um you know just that hunger that you get after a long ride and and sort of the, the, sort of being mindful of what food we had at our disposal and all of those good things that come with a quality ride were were present that day and uh, we got home we, we ate really <laughs> a big dinner and, and slept well and and felt satisfied and i think you know, I can talk about days where I've ridden a mountain 
on a road bike and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Or there's the Scott Scott McGrory and Brett Aitken's win at the Olympics was a memorable cycling moment, but it wasn't a riding moment. There's, I could go on for for hours and hours about my favourite cycling moments and not even touch the surface of the best. Tell us on Twitter, Facebook, etc., about your favourite moment when you were on a bike. Uh, we'll uh, we'll move on to our next topic, which is uh, we're actually going to talk about bike racing next time. Well. All right, uh, now to Paris-Nice, or Paris-Nice, I should say, where Julian Alaphilippe uh, of uh, Quickstep Floors took the overall lead after winning this Stage 4 TT. And given his talent, it's uh, he's probably in a very good position to win the overall um, on Monday morning. It's been a pretty eventful uh, Paris-Nice. If, uh, if you watched that, I know Rob's been... Rob's been light on on the uh, on the viewing scale, but I think Anthony, like me, has been been involved in watching Paris-Nice. I've certainly been engrossed. I enjoy, just thoroughly loved the first two days, which were like classics, Belgian classics. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I said to you, Phil, it, it felt like um, those first two stages we were watching that Gent Wevelgem from was it two years ago. When everyone got blown off the road, yeah, yes. that, that, that's Luca the, Paulini won that race. The, the first, the first scene was, you know, four four echelons, you know, yeah. riders, the whole peloton strewn across the road, and that's what we saw there. It's yeah, it's interesting it, for even for a, such a, a well funded team like BMC that they you, you take out one key rider like Michael Shah and then look look what happens to their, their GC guy Port. So uh, clearly there'll be, you know, lessons learned. Like Richie said, he probably learned more from what happened to him on those first two stages than if he was in the, the yellow jersey now. Uh, we saw how important it was for, Evan, you know, Cadell Evans in 2011. You know, he, he basically... Well, BMC, I should say, took a team for to protect him in that first ten days. From then on, you know, he he, he was okay. Um, so, Port, no doubt, well, BMC will no doubt adopt a, a similar type of makeup, um, given what transpired in Paris at at the Tour de France. Um, Rob, one of the things that uh, that immediately came to mind because we're going to stick with Richie on this because mm. obviously. You know, we're looking ahead to the Tour de France where Richie's going to be a, a key performer. And uh, and his teammates overnight won the time trial the ta- in Torino. Yes, and we should point out it's it's kind of like a, a split team for BMC mm. because uh, a lot of the big units are racing in Torino and obviously kind of half the team, along with Michael Schar, who was a pretty big loss when he crashed and, and uh, broke a couple of bones. Um, but this thing about Richie, you know, I notice it's racing conditions and it's always peculiar and it's always different in every race. But I tell you, man, when Richie goes, when he pops, he pops big, and this has been a pattern of his uh, of his career. I mean, are we are we supposed to be concerned about this, or is just something to take note of and uh, just observe the way he races from here on in? It's, I'm not sure. I mean, we've all gotten to know Richie sort of from afar, and and I think he presents with a bit of a facade, to be honest. You know, and he he gives a good interview, and I, I still. I remember one of the first chats we had where he talked about an underwater swimming challenge that they did at a training camp, but neither here nor there. For the record, it was about 75 metres and he smashed everyone else in the team. But, um, uh, you know, I I don't... When I'm doing interviews with him now, it feels like we're too much in the BMC racing bubble where they want to give you a little bit, but not enough, not not all of it. Have have a little bit, we'll present well, 
but remember, we, we, we're going to put them back on the bus in a minute. And um, uh, I, at the end of the Tour Down Under, for example, which Richie won, I was taking photos of him sitting next to Alan Piper and, and Phoebe, who, uh, who is their PR officer, she came over and said, you've got the shot, go. And I was sort of thinking, well, how do you know? Because you're not looking through my lens. I, I didn't get the photo that I wanted. And, and I, I've, it, it all feels a little bit too constructed there. So, and the same applies to the answers that he gives in interviews. So when he says there was a disaster but it wasn't a disaster, I think he genuinely doesn't really know how to respond. He wants to be positive but he also wants to be honest. And, and so he's halfway through giving an honest reply and he thinks, well, hang on, let me just sugarcoat that. Hmm. And and I find that a little bit. Just tell us the truth. Just tell us the truth. If uh-huh. if you uh, if, if you had really a shocker, say so you had a shocker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe you hadn't worked it out by then. You know, hmm. when you're asking these writers in what you hope will be their most, you know, greatest point of lucidity, but you know, they're they're also just smash themselves, and maybe maybe they haven't. Um, decompressed yet and w- worked out exactly was was it a shocker or was it not? But Richie does have that tendency to um, be enigmatic. I, I will say. I, I, well, that, and then on the flip side, I don't. I don't know. Is how how much do we want out of him other than you know? Well, it's clearly it, it was a bit of a shocker. You know, you lose fourteen minutes. <laughs> What what do you want? What do you want him what to else? say? Yeah, that's right. I yeah. had a shocker. Yeah, yeah. And but I contrast. I'm I'm contrasting that um, with Alberto Contador on that same stage, mm. and Contador got dropped on one of the splits. His team rallied around him, which is amazing considering that basically they're fresh formation, uh, mm. working with a new team leader. Um, the team rallies around him and they drag him back up, and he's digging deep. And this is the thing about a rider like Contador. It's the mm. thing about a rider like. Valverde, for example, the, the, yeah. these guys, these guys are like dogs with a bone. You know, mm. there's no, there's no quit. Mm. It takes a lot to get them to pop. Mm. And sometimes I just wonder with Richie, you know, is there maybe he's 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 more he's more intellectual about it, and he's just like, well, I'll just let it go because tomorrow's another day. Yeah. You know, whereas those other guys, they just live and die for every moment on the bike. I I, I know Michael Rogers reasonably well, and um, and we we've talked about both of those characters. Because Michael's ridden with both, not Richie when he's a sort of out and out leader, but Michael was a domestic with with Richie at Sky, and um, and he was also a domestic with Alberto at uh, Saxo, and he said, it's it would be after my conversations with Michael about Alberto, it was almost surprising that you quoted him as being an interesting person at the start of this podcast, because Michael said when he talks about bike riding, it's often really quite boring because he just gives the same answer, you know, oh, hombre, you know, we'll see how my legs are, or do, you know, just that real cliched bike rider ac- a- uh, answer. But maybe at the end of his career, he's discovering the love and he's trying to portray the, the passion that he has for it more. But, it, but ultimately, Michael also says, all Alberto thinks about is winning. Hmm. Winning, winning, not necessarily trying to be good, winning. He might say that it's not the most important in this quote, <laughs> but that's what drives him. And I think Richie wants to get tick off elements of his season. Okay, great. He had a fantastic January, smashed it this year and um, did exactly what he meant to do. He didn't quite win Cadell Evans' road race, but he put on a fantastic show. Um, you know, he did all of the things right. He's won Paris-Nice a couple of times before, so he'd go there thinking, I'm going to have another crack at it. But 
if that's taken away, eh, I guess it's not a disaster. Contador's interviews have definitely got better uh, Mm. in the last couple of years. Yeah, people did accuse him of being very uh, boring uh, early on, especially in the 2009 Tour de France. I remember I couldn't be bothered turning up to half the interviews, you know. Um, But, you know, then again, um, that, that... just the the play between him and um, was it him and Armstrong? No, no, Armstrong hadn't come back. That was another Tour de France. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would say that yeah, he's I've enjoyed what he's got to say the the last couple of years. He's he's certainly I don't know his English has got better. He's he's more articulate in that way. But then in the interviews which have been translated by various correspondents, you know, I think he's got. A lot, a lot of interesting things to, to say. say. Yeah, you know? I don't think I don't think you can ride the way Alberto's written over the over his career, and not actually, not absolutely love what it is that you do. Mm. He rides like someone who's just consumed by a passion. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. A no, lot of people, yeah, he's one of the guys who really does let his legs do the talking. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Phil, about him and Valverde. They're they're cut from a different cloth to these other guys. I think these other guys. <laughs> kind of get um, mollycoddled a bit too much. Today, whereas yeah. those guys come from a slightly different era. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's not to say that Richie needs to... So the, the the point was, is Richie really... Does he need some mongrel? Oh, he's got that. He does have it, yeah. I, I, I guess... I, I think he instead of being poised for a fifth place in the Tour de France, he needs to be poised for a... First. For a podium, so that he's really like, oh God, I'm gonna rip it. I'm gonna really because he's he's got it in him. So we can expect a really boring Richie during the tour, with every interview. I'm not certain. I don't know what to expect. <laughs> July's a long way away. There's That's a whole right. lot of classics to do first. Final words from you, Anthony. Geez, uh, well, for me, Paris Nice was just Alaphilippe. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. Uh, uh, just I remember, was it him and Tony Martin in the tour last year? They went off on mm. did 160k together or something like that. I just thought this this guy does he know how to measure his efforts and what what is he doing? So yeah, the but then again he's he's you know he's young. Catherine Catherine uh, our our broadcast uh, broadcast uh, producer she said that he's uh, her quote was he's the new Valverde. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a pretty reasonable comparison, to be quite honest. It looks like he has that ability within him. He insists he won't win a Grand Tour. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't, does it? He's only young. He'll change his mind. He's a bar rider. (laughs) (laughs) Last words from you? Last words from you. Go uh, go and ride your bike. Might be raining in Sydney, but I I don't care. We've been doing these fantastic rides on Sunday. Get out. Ride until you get to Circular Quay, then deliberately not look at the destination, get on a ferry. It's fun day Sunday, it's cheap. You can do a harbour cruise and then just make your way home. I've been doing it with my six-year-old. We did 50 or 60 kilometres the other day. We had a ripper of a time. We spent time together. We laughed. We got wet and we got home and we dried off. And, uh, and with that, that's uh, what I look forward to every weekend. So to close, uh, we've got, uh, just so you know, the remaining, uh, remaining stages of Paris-Nice, uh, stage uh, five, six, seven, eight, uh, all live on SBS. It's a diabolical time slot. The race, the stages start at 
1.20 approximately a.m. Um, so probably set the PVR and just save your sleep for a bike ride in the morning, even though we'd really love you to watch because we need the ratings. But uh, tune in, and uh, we will have uh, full replays and highlights immediately in the morning when you get up, so they'll be there for you. And on that note, we shall call it a day. 